Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. 
When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. 
Their dead were strewn along the Sharaim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned to the chase, from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. This is God's word. Thank you, Kathy. As we come to God's word then, let's pray and ask for God's help to understand it um, and to let it change us uh, this evening as we read it together. So let me pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word. Um, and we pray that this evening it would not merely be a story to us, but Lord, it would be something that is used by you to radically transform our lives, our thinking of you, um, and the way we live in the world because of that. So please help us understand these things. Please, by your spirit, apply them to our lives. Um, help me as I preach it to be clear and simple uh, in preaching your word and your truth. Uh, we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, it is an Olympic year. Oh, every four years it comes round, and this year is one of it. 2016, the Rio Olympics. 61 days and counting, hopefully, if it all runs on time, all smoothly. 61 days until the Olympics start in Rio. Now, I wonder as we approach uh, that day, I'm sure we all love the Olympics, all love watching it. But if I was to ask you the question, what's the one thing you're most looking forward to about this Olympics this summer? What would it be for you? What's the one thing you're most looking forward to? I wonder what you'd say. If you ask me that question, my response would be, tell you what, I'm most looking forward to watching the great British athletes compete. There's loads of great events, there's loads of brilliant subs happening, but it's those days when the GB athletes are in the final of something. Think Mo Farah in the 10,000 meter final, 5,000 meter final. It's those days that are special. They really are. So that's what I'm most looking forward to. Those days when the GB athletes compete. And now you might say, good answer, Nathan, but why? Why are those the days you're looking forward to? Well, here's why. Let me tell you. Because those days are when the champions of our country represent us, isn't it? It's not just them competing. We live through their performances. When they lose, we lose. When they win, we win. They are our representatives. And tell you what, there's nothing quite like it when our representatives become the champion. Gold medal around the neck. There's nothing quite like it when not just any old champion is crowned, but when our champion is crowned. It's special days, and hopefully this summer we'll have some moments just like that, celebrating our representatives being crowned champions in Rio. Now, as we come to Samuel, chapter 17... This kind of theme of champion is very, very relevant. Because for the previous few weeks we've been looking and we've been discovering all about God. And a kind of question comes up time and time again of what kind of champion, or what kind of king is God going to provide for his people? That's kind of the question that comes again and again throughout the whole book of Samuel. And once again in chapter 17, this question raises its head. What kind of champion is God going to provide for his people? 
And it's a great story. It was read brilliantly for us by Kathy. And we're just going to get into it straight away. Let me set the scene. Here's the picture. And we're going to start with looking at champions. But first off, we find a failed champion. Okay, here's the scene. Imagine it. Close your eyes if you want. You don't have to, but you can. I'll allow you to. On the north grandstand, we have the Philistines. In the south grandstand, we have the Israelites. And in the middle of them, this ginormous valley. It's like the playing field. North, south. They're getting ready for battle. Tensions building. They've been there maybe for hours, waiting for what's going to happen next. And all of a sudden, in verse 4 of chapter 17, something happens. There's movement on the Philistine side. And this guy enters the battlefield. Goliath. Good to say, isn't it? Goliath. It's a great name. He's got a perfect name, hasn't he? He enters the scene. And I think we learn straight away four things about this giant. Firstly, he is enormous. He's absolutely enormous. It tells us there he is six cubits and a span. Now, Let's make that, let's ground that a little bit. That's roughly nine foot and six inches tall. It's quite incredible. I did a little bit of measurement before the service started. And I reckon, give or take a few inches. Let me give you a bit of perspective. I'm going to move across. See the cross over here? See the bar of the cross? Give or take a few inches. That is the height of Goliath. Now, I'm standing here. I'm about just under six foot. Goliath is nearly 10 foot tall. He's absolutely ginormous. He's enormous. And now he strides onto the battlefield. First thing, he's enormous. Second thing, he's not just enormous. He is equipped. You'll notice that the writer of the book goes into some impressive detail about what Goliath is wielding. First off, defense. What's he got? Well, notice a helmet. Right, protecting his head. Bronze helmet. What else has he got? Armor covering his body, his breastplate, and a heavy armor like that. He's also got greaves, basically shin pads, right? Giants well be vulnerable down low. All these little guys running around. He's got to protect his shins, right? Be careful, Goliath. And then he's got his shield. Right? He sets up defensively. This guy is impenetrable. From head to toe, he's covered, safe, protected by his bronze armor. And not just defensively, but also offensively in attack, the writer goes on. He's got his javelin. He's got his spear. Later on in the, in the chapter, you'll find out that he's also got a sword. Impenetrable defensively, but lethal offensively. That's Goliath. He's enormous. He's equipped. But you've probably heard the phrase, he's got all the gear, but no idea. Right? you probably heard that. That's, that doesn't apply to Goliath. He's got all the gear, but he has an idea as well. Because he's not just enormous. He's not just equipped. He's experienced. Right? He's described as a champion. Now, to become a champion, he's had to fend off other rivals, other champions. He's the best of the best that the Philistines have got. Years and years of military background, experience, battles, fights, trainings. He's their number one. He is their champion that they're sending forward to fight on their behalf. Enormous, equipped, experienced. 
And then he exclaims, because we've got a visual representation of him, but now he speaks. And you'll notice in verse 8, he has a challenge. And basically, in summary, here's the challenge. You, me, right here, right now, winner takes all. I'll fight you, send your best man forward, I'll take him on. Whoever wins, they get it all. If we win, we take everything. If you win, you take absolutely everything. There he is. Now, it's a great start to our story. Chapter 17 started brilliantly. You can feel it, can't you? The drama, the tension. North stand, south stand, Goliath in the middle. But what's the response going to be from the Israelite army? And if you're anything like me, you're asking the question, who's going to fight him? All right? Good challenge, Goliath, but right, let's see what the Israelites have to offer. Send forward your best man. And if there's anyone who's capable, it's got to be their king, Saul. Right? He's the obvious choice to be sent forward from the south sand to meet Goliath face to face. In previous weeks, we've looked at a few different things. And I think there's two reasons why Saul is the obvious choice to be sent forward. Back in chapter 8, verse 20, it says this. The people of Israel want a king, king, and they're talking to Samuel. And they say this. Then will we be like the other nations with a king to lead us and, notice, go out before us and fight our battles. That's the reason they wanted a king in the first place. It's in the job description, Right? We want you, Saul, to go and fight our battles for us. This is it's made for him. Ideal opportunity to fill in the job description and here I am. I'm going to be your champion. But it's not just in the job description. He also fits the bill. Right? In chapter 9, verse 20, it says, He's a head taller than anyone else out of the Israelites. Okay, Goliath's tall. Saul's probably a little bit smaller, but he's a big guy himself. Right? He's no, he's no midget. He's massive. He's got a good chance. He stacks up well against them. So there's our question. Who will fight? Who will take on this giant? Will it be Saul? But we see in verse 11 that rather than stepping up to the plate, Saul responds very differently. Read it with me in verse 11. Saul and all the Israelites were what? Dismayed and terrified. The people are looking for a champion. And Saul cowers away in fear. And if you've been with us in previous weeks, you'll know why. This shouldn't surprise us if we've been here before. In the previous chapters of the book of Samuel, we've realized that Saul was the people's choice. But the people's choice has rebelled, has turned away from God. And so therefore, God has forsaken him. He's left here on the battlefield with nothing but himself. Alone. So no wonder he's afraid when he looks at Goliath. He has nothing. Let me put this up on the screen. This is maybe his perspective. As Saul looks out on Goliath in the battlefield, something a bit like this. Little Saul... Little Israel versus the giant Goliath. No chance. And so what does it result in? Fear. 
It's the wrong perspective. And we'll find out what the right perspective is a little bit later in our story. But here's our first point. Saul is the failed champion. He's not the champion that we are after. We're longing for a champion to take down this Goliath, but it's not Saul. The story continues. Thank goodness. Because onto the scene steps the unlikely champion. The camera shifts, imagine it, it's a film. The camera shifts from the the front line of the battle. And it shifts to the farmyard. And enter David onto the scene, verse 12. He's sent by his father, the story continues, he's sent by his father to the front line of the battle to see how his brothers are getting on there fighting in Saul's army and to come back to him and give them a bit of an update how things are going on. So like an obedient son does, David sets off and arrives at the perfect moment just as things are kicking off that day. He arrives at the scene. So quickly, he leaves everything and sprints to the front line to see what's going on. And just as he arrives, up steps Goliath again. And David gets to hear his challenge. Now notice in verse 24, we have the same response again from Saul and the Israelites. We've had it before, we'll have it again here in 24. This response of fear. Out steps Goliath, back coils Saul and the Israelites. But in verse 26, you'll notice a different response from David. Remember, this is the very first time he's been here. This is the first glimpse he's had of Goliath. And his response, his perspective is vastly different to that of the Israelites and of Saul, the failed champion. Notice what it says there in verse 26. It begins with, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? There's David's response. You'll notice he asks the right question, doesn't he? He gets it. He understands what's really going on. This giant Goliath isn't just challenging Saul. He's not just challenging the army of Saul, the Israelites. But this Goliath is challenging the God of the Israelites. And David gets it straight away. He understands what the real issue is. This Goliath is challenging my God. How dare he? Who does he think he is? I noticed the word there in red, defy. It's not just a challenge, it's a defiance. It's repeated five times throughout the chapter. Looked it up. Bit of a definition. An open disregard or contempt. Helpful, isn't it? This is how Goliath views David's God. Contempt. Disregard. David's response. How dare you? How dare you? David can't shut his mouth. And he shouldn't. This is wrong. This should not be happening. 
And so this unlikely champion, remember we found out a little bit earlier, he's a shepherd. He's the youngest in his family. He's a delivery boy. He's no one. And yet this unlikely champion is offended when his God is defamed. He's hurt when his God is made to look little. And it's bad enough if this happened once. But this has been happening for 40 days, twice a day. And no one's done anything about it. You read that? 40 days, Goliath's been coming out. In the morning, in the evening. Defying God. And no one has done anything. The failed champion has not stepped up. And yet David comes and straight away gets it. How dare he? How dare he? And you can almost feel the drama, can't we? The tension. Someone do something. Someone get up there and shut that guy up. That's what David's crying out for. And so should we. But here's where we're going to pause just for a few minutes of application. Do we? We should feel it. But do we feel it? Does it hurt you when sin prospers in our world? Are you offended when your God is made to look little, insignificant? When he's belittled, when he's defamed? Does it hurt? Are we offended? Do we care? Because you know what? We should. And not just for any old reason, but the reason that this God is not just a God. He's our God. Christian, this God in the world, when sin prospers and his name is made to be little rather than great, who he really is. He's not just a God. He's our God. And so everything about who we are, everything we do is tied up with who he is. So we should be hurt. We should be offended when he is belittled and defamed because he's our God. So there's the first point of challenge and application. We should feel it. But do we feel it? David certainly does here. It's a challenge. But again, the story continues. David doesn't just make, sorry, ask the right question. He makes the right choice. You'll notice the story continues. Let me read verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now let's just stop for a minute. Okay, let's take a pause. David, good, well done. Right, you're offended when Goliath belittles your God. But now you want to go and fight him. That's just ridiculous. You, you notice Saul responds in that kind of way. Are you mad? I, I, love, I love your desire, David. I love, it. I love your motives. But for you to go? No. It's silly. Have you seen the size of him? Do you know what you're getting into? This is just ridiculous. You're no match for him, David. He will kill you. Do you get what's on the line? It's not just, he's not just 
any old man. He is Goliath, the Philistine champion. This is ridiculous, David. I like your attitude. Well done. But sit back down. You can't go. But you see, David has another great response. Because his response to Saul and that feeling of great attitude, but not you, shows where his confidence lies for him to say, I will go. Let me read from verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. David tells a story of how when he was a shepherd boy, lions, bears used to come steal the sheep and he went after them and won his sheep back and killed the lion and the bear. David continues, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Great response by David. He says, I've won before, Saul, but not because I'm a hero, but because my God is. Not because I was strong, but because I was rescued. See it in verse 37? The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. I have experience of the saving power of my God. I know what he can do. He saved me once, he'll save me again. And so I go in the confidence, not of my own strength, but in the confidence of his rescuing power. That's why I go. As unlikely as I am, but with this God behind me. I will go, says David, in the strength of my rescuing God. Well done, David. He's a good lad. And he carries on because there's a little bit of a delay. David tries to put armor on him. He's like, nah, sack that. I'm going to go. Hey, not in your strength, Saul. I'm not, I don't need armor. I'm going to go in the strength of my God. And we get to verse 40. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? I love stories. Here we go. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with the sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Brilliant. Storyteller's dream. You can imagine it. There he is. He's entered the valley. Goliath's there. You've got the north, the south, the crowd cheering them on. And he steps down into the valley with a staff, a sling, some stones to face Goliath. Remember, he's enormous. He's equipped. He's experienced. He had a challenge. And yet David goes the unlikeliest of champions the shepherd versus the soldier the stick versus the spear David versus Goliath it could be a film couldn't it but yet here's the point here's the point it's a likely champion in Goliath trusting in himself Versus an unlikely champion trusting in God. Let me say it again. It's a likely champion in Goliath trusting in himself. Versus an unlikely champion trusting in God. Look on the screen. 
We had, remember we had this little equation before. Change of perspective, right? Before, Israelites and Saul, here's what they thought. Little Saul, little Israel versus giant Goliath. What does that result in? Fear. No chance at all. But as David enters the breach, here's his perspective. Little Goliath versus giant God. That's victory. He's got no chance. He's got no chance. I'm going, I'm coming in the strength of my giant God. And you notice verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. It's almost as if he's saying, is that all you've got? Is that it? You come against me with a sword? A spear? Are you kidding me? I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. David enters the battlefield unafraid because he knows his God. He knows his promises. He knows his power. So he can enter unafraid with his confidence in him. If he trusted in himself, he'd be in a whole heap of trouble. He's a shepherd against a soldier. But he comes trusting in his almighty God. And notice again, verse 47, what's going to happen. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. So we've had our failed champion in Saul. We've had our unlikely champion in David. But that verse points to the great champion. And here's the point that David wants to make clear in this whole scene. Please get this. The hero of the story is not David. It's in red for a reason. The hero of the story is not David. The hero of the story is God. And that's what David wants everyone to know. That God saves, not by strength, not by power, not by cleverness, not by force, not by the expected way, not by trusting in yourself. But rather, God saves by means of an unlikely champion who trusts in him. God is the hero. In David's weakness, God's strength is made very visible in this story. And we know the rest, don't we? We know what happens. The story continues. There's two hits in it. The stone hits Goliath. Goliath hits the floor. Two hits in it. Victorious. David wins the battle. The rest is just mopping up. God wins the battle by means of an unlikely champion who trusts him. So as we finish, it's a great story, right? It's a great story. David and Goliath, brilliant. But the danger for me and you as we leave here this evening is this. You might look at that little heading on the screen and say, yes, I agree with that. Believe that. Very visible from this story. The hero of the story is not David. Yes, memorize that. 
It's not David, not David, not David. The hero of the story is God, it's God, it's God, it's God, God. You can memorize that, easy. But the truth is that the danger of this story is that we can know this in our heads, but the reality is we may leave this room and live our lives, live our story as if we are the hero of our lives. Or as if we need to be the heroes of our own story. We could go with the attitude of, I just need to be a bit more like David. To go into this world and beat my Goliaths. And I'll be victorious. Please stop. Please don't. Because the truth of this story is the truth of your story. In this story, David is not the hero. In this story, God is the hero. In your story, let me tell you something. You're not the hero. But here's another thing. You don't need to be. You are not the hero of your story. But you don't need to be the hero of your story. Because the amazing thing about David and Goliath is it points to something far bigger than itself. Right? It points to something far bigger than itself. Because this moment in history points towards another moment in history. This hero, this champion David, points towards another hero, another champion. And let me tell you, it's not me. (laughs) It's not you. If we were to put ourselves in this story, please don't put yourselves in the shoes of David. We're far more like the cowering Israelites in the corner, afraid, fearful, in need of a champion. And the brilliant thing about the story that this story points towards is the story of Jesus Christ. The one that God provided for us to be our champion. The unlikely hero, born in a manger, born in Bethlehem, poor, Belittled, suffered, killed, be arose again in victory to be our champion. You see, this story points towards the great champion. It points towards David, the unlikely champion, but it points towards David's greater son, King Jesus, the greatest champion of all. Jesus is our champion. Jesus faces the giant so we don't have to. Jesus conquers sin and death so we don't have to. Jesus has won the victory so we don't have to. He's done it for us. And we understand, when we understand this, that you are not the champion, that I am not the champion of our story, but in fact, Jesus is. And we don't have to be the champion of our story because Jesus is. Doesn't it liberate us? Doesn't it free you? The pressure's off. He's done it for you. And therefore, it means that we we're free to, to make much of him, to worship him, the rightful champion, the true champion, and give him the credit that he deserves. So as we finish then, here is our final point of application. Jesus is our champion. But here's the final question that I want to ask you. Are you in the champion's army? Because I think this is where we can really apply it to ourselves. Are you trusting in champion Jesus? 
Are you still trying to be your own champion? Are you still trying to live life in your own strength? Or will you trust in the one who has done it all for you? The great champion, King Jesus. And if you are, are you living passionately for his honor and glory? Like David was in these verses. Do you care when his name is made little of? When sin prospers in our world? Will you live unafraid in the light of his power? Please don't enter this week in your own strength. Enter in the strength, the rescuing, saving power of your champion, King Jesus. Are you living passionately? Are you living unafraid? And thirdly, are you living certain that the victory has been won on your behalf by Jesus? The pressure's off you. He is our champion. He is the great champion. Will we join his army? And will we live for him passionately, unafraid and certain of what he has achieved for us? As we finish, just a few minutes then in your own heart, in your own mind to respond to this. I pray that God's spirit, not my words, have been impacting your mind, your heart, your lives as I've been preaching from his word. And the challenge with these kind of evenings is we can kind of go away encouraged, but tomorrow morning it's snatched away. Or even in conversations after the sermon, it's snatched away. It's so easy to move on so quickly. So my challenge for you in the next minute, two minutes, three minutes, is to stop. If it's helpful to you, maybe you have a phone, get out, pen, paper, get out, and capture what God has been speaking to you through his word tonight. Don't let it be lost. Write it down, capture it if that's helpful to you. If not, pray it through. Pray that God would impress these truths, whatever it might be that his spirit's been preaching to your life, would impress it upon your heart. I'm going to leave a few minutes of quiet for you to do that, to, res- to respond to what God's been speaking to us tonight. And then after that, I'm going to invite the band up to finish us off with a song. So for a few minutes, whatever's helpful to you to respond to what God has been saying to you, please, please don't waste this time.